0: Hello, and welcome to episode 90 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony Malekian, U.S. Editor of Waters, and I'm here with James Rundle, our news editor. Hey, everyone. So, we are live right now at, well, you'll be listening to it, not live, but we're, say, we're live.
1: What is the actual kind of term for that? Because we're live. From the- we're live right now.
0: <laughs> As speaking to you, we're live at the Bayside Technology Summit um, in Midtown, New York, um, so you might hear some banging around, some noises in the background. Uh, we're live on site, you know. So yeah, if it's not our usual
1: hermetically sealed meeting room environment. Uh, exactly.
0: So, so um, at the end of this the panel, at the, at the end of this panel, God. I, so I've been chairing this event and talking about panels all day, all day, guys. all day. It's a long, all long day. day. <laughs> I swear to God, it'll get better than this in just a little <laughs> bit. Rough opening. Um, so at the end of this. Podcast. Toward the end, after James and I are done jibber jabbering here, um, we're going to play a little snippet of a panel that looked at uh, embracing technology in a changing regulatory environment. Um, for we have um, the head of compliance technology at Guggenheim Partner at Guggenheim Securities. Uh, we have um, Chief Compliance Officer of Jay Goldman and Co and uh, Chief Compliance Officer of, um, of uh, Sierra Global Management and the Chief Operating Officer of Rhymes' RegTech Division. So we got real good, you know, it was, a, it was a panel that they were just talking about various regulatory concerns and how technology feeds into that.
1: Yeah, particularly interesting as well uh, of kind of what the SEC expects from companies. i good to get a kind of inside look at that, and it's really interesting stuff, so sure. give it a listen.
0: And as as part of this, you know, we're not going to talk a lot about what we've heard about today at BST, at the BST North American Summit, mainly because we're going to be writing articles all week on this. So if you just go to waterstechnology.com, you'll be able to see all the coverage that we have on this. Um, so we're not going to get too deep into that right now. Maybe next week, you know, we can if if we're kind of looking for something. We thought instead there was an interesting little bit of news in the chat communication yeah. space this uh, week. Which is not normally
1: something you associate with exciting uh, Machiavellian <laughs> developments, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, Bloomberg really rolled a natural 20 this
0: week. <laughs> it, was, it was lovely. It was, um, so, for those that don't know, uh, Symphony, uh, chat communication. Yeah, Goldman-backed.
1: There's a bit the like sort in of banks where right? in Goldman.
0: Um Listed as the Bloomberg killer in a Bloomberg couple of years. killer,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, it came out. No hyperbole, I guess. Right? None yeah, whatsoever, A couple of years back, um, you might remember that Bloomberg got in a bit of trouble with Goldman over the fact that its reporters were accessing its uh, system and seeing kind of who'd logged in and who hadn't. And there were sort of. Waters reporters would never do something as if, well. Well, we, we couldn't that. afford to have a That's, so. That's a very good point. <laughs> so, uh, um, So anyway, shortly afterwards, um, Goldman put some money into Symphony, which was called something else at the time. I can't remember. Pan- uh, Perzo
0: Perzo, was the it, original yeah, yeah. Uh, Palo Alto company. That's right. Yeah, by David um, Gurley, and it became a
1: kind of a financial communications tool. Really got backed by Deutsche, by Goldman, by a bunch of the All the big well. wigs of
0: the investment bank. Yeah, in kind
1: of um, looking as a replacement, I guess, for Bloomberg Chat, which is obviously the dominant um, tool in this industry. um, and they've been making a big song and dance for the last couple of years about how revolutionary it is um, and, you know, how much it's taking off its sure. competitors. Uh, and they held their big Symphony Innovate conference uh, yesterday.
0: So on Wednesday, in Symphony York. Innovate. So you know, yeah. bring out everybody, talk about all the different partnerships. Big announcements.
1: All like Deutsche sort of open sourcing its code um, on Symphony, which you can read about on Waters as well. Yeah.
0: MDX. Um, I know that Inside Market Data wrote a couple stories. Yeah. Um, on. So there were a lot of announcements that came out. hmm Toward the middle of the day?
1: I think it was, yeah. I first saw the FT story, I think, about like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe. So yeah. just after everyone had their lunch, and we was sitting down for the afternoon sessions and what must be one of the most uh, coordinated examples of uh, of source capture by the FT, but actually I yeah, cutting the competition. Really yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to Bloomberg
0: uh, announced that they, uh, so I'm not sure if it was exclusive to FT, but that's where we they saw it, it was yeah, on yeah, the FT. It's... Not on Bloomberg. <laughs> <laughs> um... That they are actually going to unbundle their chat product, yep. um, so you no longer have to pay the twenty-three thousand dollars a year to uh, I think it's like have two the and, chat. and a half grand a month. Is that something? Yeah, it's like about a two and a half grand a month, about 23, yes. 24 a uh, year. Yeah, um, ten dollars, uh, I think, uh, per month is the cost. I didn't the see chat. the cost. Is that what it is? Ten dollars. So it'll cost you ten dollars if you want the chat feature. <laughs> nice and cheap. Um, Which is what a lot of people
1: use mostly. I mean, like I mean, uh, my mother-in-law's in the industry, and uh, a lot of by proxy, but kind of extended family friends. And uh, for them, it's I mean, obviously the, the data function, everything else is vital to their job. But what they use more than anything else is the the blue the instant
0: messaging function. Sure. So You saw when yeah. it went out like about a year ago or something like that. Yeah, I remember it this. went out yeah, and yeah. it shut down Wall Street across does, the globe.
1: Yeah. Well, they I mean. Um, I remember covering that when I was at a different publication, and uh, people were just saying, screw that. "Thank God, screw that!" Exactly. <laughs> uh, people were saying, "You know, thank God this happened before U.S. market open. Because if that happens during when the the sort of went up, everything would be screwed completely." Yeah. It Happened. I think like what from nine to eleven o'clock in the morning UK time or something. It was. Uh...
0: It's. So first, this is not to say symphony. Like somebody from Markets Media, uh, tweet, Markets Media tweeted me when I put up a little snarky uh, text message mm-hmm. or tw- twid- tweet. Um, saying, oof, good, good job that uh, Symphony has their conference, and then Bloomberg goes and just sucks all the joy I out of the room. Oh,
1: man, that it was pretty. It, it really is,
0: <laughs> just from a shot Freud perspective, it's kind of funny. But, And they are like, you know, doesn't this show that Symphony is a serious player because Bloomberg doesn't want to offer anything for $10? First of all, of course Symphony is a serious player. The reason why Goldman, Deutsche, all these big players are in it. Let's also understand something here. They have 118,000 active, what they call active users. Mm -hmm. An active user just has to be somebody sent a message one time over the last 30 days. It's not exactly that active of a user. Yeah. It's not to, Symphony is a big player for sure, and the partnerships that they're growing is very impressive. The that thing they is that,
1: have. Like, I mean, not like, even compared to things like MSN, though. Like, I mean, I know that Mia, our US reporter, is doing a feature on messaging and chat coming out soon. Um, and she was at Symphony in a talking yeah. to a bunch of people about
0: their. Yeah, we sent usage. her out while we did all the snarky comments behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was the best way to do it. Uh, you know. <laughs> um,
1: but she was saying to a couple people saying, you know, Symphony is used, and it's used kind of substantially within a firm, but. When you compare it to something like uh, MSN and their kind of company networking service or anything else, it's pretty minimal, actually. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to a couple of people today at Byside Technology North America, including um, a company that's a fairly notable partner of Symphony, and they just said, uh, they, oh yeah, we were there yesterday when that news came out, it went very quiet, very yeah. quickly. Uh, and one guy just saying he thinks it's a death blow. It, so, you know.
0: It's... I. That's whenever I talk to my source stuff like that, they always talk about they lament like if they can't afford a Bloomberg, especially on the buy side. If right. you can't afford a Bloomberg, it's very annoying because you want to be on the Bloomberg chat.
1: Well, as we know, but working a newsroom that doesn't have a terminal, how frustrating yeah. it is not be able to access it. The it's,
0: only thing I'll be interested to see is does this hurt the terminal business? Maybe yeah. I, I I wonder if there are companies that actually just buy it because listen. It's, it's, it's the 350,000 installations of the terminal yep. I mean something like that it's it, I'm not sh- it'll be interesting to see how this plays out but I, I would be of the agreement that if people think that this was good news for Symphony that Bloom yeah Bloomberg doesn't yep. want to offer some for ten dollars. But they also do, like, crushing the competition, too. That is yeah, something yeah. they do enjoy. That's
1: one of the things that's really not just crushing them, but then stomping on them and grinding their heel in some afterwards. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, that's kind of Bloomberg's thing. <laughs> and that's the other thing.
0: Symphony, like, they have, because of these companies that are backing them, these large banks, those active users are at the banks. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I think Dan uh, Di I think that he said it's, like, kind of showing up to a party, you uh, know. Where are all the girls at? Where's the buy side at, man? Where, <laughs> where are, you know, we, we
1: want to connect. We want to mingle exactly. here. And as you said, this, the is buy sides the, out there. this is the real power of Bloomberg's move is the fact that there's these small shops you can suddenly get onto the, because if you're an IDB, if you're a bank, you're going to have a terminal. You're going to have yeah. a Bloomberg subscription. If you're a small little family office or something like that, you, you might have one terminal for the entire office or something or yeah. whatever. This gives them the ability to now communicate with the brokers and with the sales side. Um, and it'll just undercut the hell out of Symphony. I mean, you never know. Symphony is more than Chats. They might turn it around, sure. but uh, and it has that kind of back, well, backing. And
0: also, it. it'll be, though, interesting. What does Bloomberg now, to make up for the fact that people can now buy their chat for just this? Mm. Maybe this means an interesting new wrinkle to the terminal offering yeah. so that you say, OK, listen, yeah, you can get the chat for $10, but here's a little bit of extra yeah. of that. You know, in case you were thinking about un- unbundling us from your trading. Uh... Well,
1: this is the thing. I mean, you have to wonder how sincerely threatened Bloomberg was by Symphony in the first place. And uh, I mean, again, like the Bloomberg terminal is way more than just bloomies. It's the analytics and the data and yes. everything that goes
0: with it. Um, you know, it's um, their NLP technology that they have, and NFG yeah, and the linkage to all their EMS
1: and OMS systems and that kind yeah. of thing as well. I mean, it's just it's, it's an incredible piece of technology and aim and everything else. But yeah. um, uh, my point was going to be that, uh, yeah, I mean, Bloomberg, I don't think, was ever really threatened by Symphony, but I think it has just put down a little thing that sound Maybe just disliked people saying it's going to be the Bloomberg killer. Yeah. And decided, very tactically, with the help of some rather sympathetic journalists at the FT yeah. to uh, do it during Symphony Innovate. So, and, you know, poor David
0: Earl, yeah. he's always like, listen, we're not, we don't consider ourselves the Bloomberg killer. Uh, I don't think that those words ever came out of his mouth. Uh, no, I think no, that yeah. that was more... Media trying I to it
1: FT, jazz that. it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At the beginning. Um, yeah, that's why they got the uh, scoop. We <laughs> he like, here, this is very, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've been very, very like sort of cagey about the fact of their origins, even though everyone knows exactly why it came out of that and exactly yeah. why goldman backed it. And even goldman said, "Oh, that's no, not why he backed it." Yeah. of course it was, guys. Come on, you know. Yeah. Um, but we'll see, I and mean, it could be bad times <laughs> for symphony. Um, a few people, not just the uh, the partner symphony I mentioned earlier, but a few people have just gone. Kind of suck their breath in between their teeth and just gone. uh oh, that's not good.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, so. not Let's good. See. So it'll be interesting to see. The communication space, ironically enough, has been one of the more interesting areas uh, that we've been covering. And as we said. Uh, Amelia David's going to have a feature coming out on that in, over the next couple of weeks yeah. uh, she's just finishing up the reporting and on some that. more
1: coverage from uh, Symphony Innovate as well um, yeah. I think uh, Brian Quintons the new commissioner for the CFTC spoke there okay. about Reg AT and source code speaking
0: features. of CFTC and Reg AT and source code somebody
1: had their finger on the pulse didn't they yeah.
0: so Giancarlo announced that Reg AT is D.E.A.D is that how you spell dead? yeah I think it is yeah. long day here it is dead. Reg AT, the source code provision is dead, sorry. Mm -hmm. The source code provision. And then um, the other commissioner, the other Republican commissioner said, I think that we need to have a whole revision of Reg AT as a whole, which to me also says that that rule. If you want to go back to January 5th, there was a certain journalist for Waters that said the death knell sounds for the source code provision of and Reggae th- TV. This
1: is really important because Dan DiFrancesco, former Waters correspondent, yeah. uh, wrote a story for Risk about this yesterday and he gets so angry about the fact that Tony called this January third. So 5th. angry. So when you email Dan or talk to him, just say, oh, by the way, I saw you wrote a story about uh, about Reggae TV. Then, Didn't Tony Malakin write about that but, in January but, the wrote, Please bring it just up just because just we're watching this kind of like red flush creep up his face when he hears about it.
0: Then all of a sudden <laughs> I feel just a brick at the back of my head uh, <laughs> as I'm sitting there in the office. <laughs> Um, so we have some stories up on all that online again uh, from Bayside Technology North American Summit, which we're at right now. Um, we're going to have a lot of coverage, a ton of stories are going to be going up over the next, you know, tomorrow, Friday. So as you're listening today, and then into next week, we already have a couple stories that went up today, yep. Thursday. God, I am just – this whole timeline is just screwed up here, so I apologize for that. I apologize for my performance today. (laughs) I've been up on stage all day, and I'm going to drink a lot because I have the Astros playing in just about 30 minutes here, 40 minutes, and then the Patriots play tonight
1: a heavy night for Tony Maleku. Yeah.
0: Don't, yes. e- don't email me tomorrow. Don't call me tomorrow. Just wait till Monday. You wouldn't get it anyway. Our emails yeah. are always down. These yeah, days, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now we're going to kick into uh, the panel uh, from here on looking at regulation and technology. Um, again, so we have Joseph Lodato from Guggenheim Partners. He moderated the panel. And then our speakers were Bruno Piers, the Uh He's from Rhymes. Uh, he had, uh, is the chief COO of of their regtech division. One of the original founders of uh, Actimize as well, which I didn't realize. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you talked a little about that. Um, we have Adam Reback, uh, Chief Compliance Officer at Jay Goldman & com- Company, a uh, uh, long-short equity fund, and Craig Peretz, uh, Chief Compliance Officer, Chief Operating Officer, and Chief Financial Officer of Sierra Global Management. It's a lot of hats.
2: It's A lot of hats. A lot of hats, <laughs> lot of hats
0: to wear. All right, uh, thank you so much. Um, We will be back next week for episode 91, and I'm going to stop rambling on. James, do you have anything?
1: Uh, Just finally, Cybos is approaching. I'm still going. Um, If you want me, give me an email. We haven't fired you yet. Not yet. (laughs) I might quit after this. All right,
0: well, on that note, Cybos, hopefully you'll get to see James there.
1: If I'm still alive.
2: (laughs) Have a good day, y'all. Okay, I got another question here, Craig. I'm going to give it to you. Would you trust now you're talking to a compliance officer who's naturally paranoid, would you trust machine learning or AI to interpret regulations or other legal data? No. Any other follow-up? Not, no not,
3: not, no. <laughs> Listen, the problem that we're having right now, and I'll give you a really good example. Uh, several years ago in the in Europe, they came out with the short rule. Okay, where you had to disclose if you were short more than 20 basis points of any position, of the outstanding shares of the position. We were like, great, we got all these countries, they're all consistent, they gave us a form. Little technical problem. The way that every country is capturing the data is completely different. Some use websites, some you have to send faxes, some you have to send an email, some you have to upload, some you need your lawyers to file. Some of them are not even in English. All right, to get what you need to have done, so I think it's going to be very difficult for you know machine learning to interpret everything else because a lot of the times is we're trying to interpret this. Do I think eventually it can be part of the process? Yes, do I think we're there now? No, for the simple reason that the laws aren't clear they're not
4: no, I, I, I agree with for that sort of example that's correct, but when it comes to mass data monitoring like. Uh, market abuse or, or right. money laundering, etc. There's no doubt that if you don't start to profile the traders or the employees, you're going to create tons of false positives. It's not learning, but it's profiling. That's mm-hmm. essential. If mm-hmm. not, yeah, there,
5: there's a lot of software out there that that claims they could do a lot of things. I think when it comes to interpreting the way regulations apply to your business, everybody's business is different. You might all be, you know, hedge funds or investment managers or whatever you are. But every single shop is very different, so I really would be careful with that because I don't think there's one standard that you know fits all. Um, you know, there's lots of vendors out there that, that you know, like you said, can profile your employees and can look at patterns, and emails, and trading patterns, and things like that. And I think that's worth exploring um, because that might be something that you can automate, but not how the regulations apply. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just talking internal.
4: Right. Data. Just
5: the internal yeah. data. Yeah. That, that I would think work. That you have a lot more start to cross, with the I agree internal the data, data than what you're required to live by. I mean, a we
3: were talking about this before. Just SEC offices in the United States. How the New York office works is completely different than the Boston office or the California offices. Now, they're all doing the same thing under the same rules, but how they interact with your firm is completely different. And where you're having your examination done out of WIS office is a big part of how you're going to approach that examination
2: how soon will compliance be less reactionary and more proactive right i want to build a system that says i mean think about what ai can do or machine learning and all this stuff you could be typing an email and the computer come back and say you sure you want to say that <laughs> right before the sales trader hits send right that's possible right when you do machine learning do that you have to I don't think anyone's going to invest in that, but you know, if I have a trader who's trying to uh, uh, do something in the marketplace and, and it's, it's, just putting in trades and he's trying to pump it up. I want to know that walk over and hit the trader in the back of the head, right? Saying, Hey, what are you doing? I don't want to find out the next day. So, so there is this move to the real time and I don't know the awareness, but the problem that you have with this. So as a compliance officer, I want more real time. I want to be more proactive. The problem I have is getting the data how quickly i can get in is that what you're so, saying
5: you know i think one of the sorry yeah. i think one of the major issues is how much can you slow down the trading activity right so n- right now everybody has pre-trade compliance post trade compliance and you know we try to 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 only use pre-trade compliance with the absolutely necessary hard stop restrictions or the warnings that we want to give to our traders that they can click through so long as they read the warning and understand what it means when they're going to do that trade so you know, I think that's always going to be the push and pull between operations and, and the front office, right? They want to trade, they want to hit the button, they want it to go. I mean, milliseconds matter these days, right? That's what we're told, and if, you, if you're off by a millisecond, you lose millions of dollars. Um, so I, my concern with that would be, are we going to slow them down, or are we going to have systems that are effective enough that they don't slow it down but can still recognize behavior that needs to get flagged? Right. And then the question is, what happens when it does get flagged? Right? Do you stop it? Mm-hmm. Is it a warning, is, or is it a hard stop? And that's always depends warning. on the yeah. behavior, right? The compliance. Right. Yeah.
4: The law doesn't ask you to do that. Mm-hmm. The law is poorly written. The, the law doesn't even ask you to stop the trade. Mm-hmm. You need right. to report it. T plus one. Right. So why why should you stop? To <laughs> I'd I love what you do uh, for us. Okay. For vendor it's fantastic. But that that is, you know, driving three well, five miles an hour when you can drive fifty. Years. Yeah.
2: From from a compliance point of view, though. One of the things that I want to look at as a compliance officer, I want to look at behavioral analytics. I want to look at behaviors, right? And so sometimes behaviors don't happen in a day or in a trade. It's going to happen over a period of time. So while I want to, you know, if, if, I have, if someone's gone rogue and they're spoofing the market, I do want to know that as quickly as possible, and these systems will let you do that on the trading side. But, but there are other systems where you really want to look at the pattern and to see uh, both what's happening inside and outside. So, for instance, i just pose this a little bit. You know, cybersecurity, it's being thrown on the, the heels of, of the compliance officers. Um, you know, CCO's got to really learn a lot about technology nowadays, especially if they have to deal with the cybersecurity part of it, right? And your threat as a firm is not so much on the outside as much as it's on the inside, right? You have to know what's happening with your own employees, especially if someone hacks and steals a sysadmin Right, you need to monitor that. This all takes data; it all takes technology. Do you think the CCOs get that message? Do you think that people know that their burden is getting much broader than just some regulatory, you know, rule?
5: Absolutely. Adam feels it. <laughs> I Feel it every day. Um, you know, I think CCOs are acutely aware that you know we have a bullseye on us, and that bullseye is reliant on a lot of other people's actions. Um, you know, when it comes to things like cybersecurity. You know, the regulators are out there asking about it, reviewing it, and commenting back in exams. Um, They do expect, and I'll tell you this firsthand, they expect that you as a CCO can sit down with them and explain what it is you do at a high level. But they also want to speak to your CTO or someone in your IT department who's going to explain to them exactly what you do in different terms, right, exactly how this happens. They expect that when you go out and you conduct due diligence on vendors that the CCO is they are conducting the onsite and that the director of IT or the CTO is weighing in on that at the same time for the controls in their, their networks. So, you know, there's a tremendous amount of scrutiny on the CCO to organize all of this and to be responsible for it, but the CCO can't, you know, perform a lot of those functions. Like, we are not IT people. We, you know, we know as much as we know. The burden is on us to learn more, obviously, mm-hmm. and that's growing every day. And, you know, we're, we're trying, but we rely on the IT resources um, in a lot of instances.
3: Craig? And I think the CCO also has the responsibility to become a teacher, all right? They're the ones that getting – they've gone off to school and gotten the knowledge of the rules and regulations and talked to the lawyers. The people that are going to be battling the cybersecurity in the firm is the IT, IT department, Um, And the IT department has got to learn from the CCO the areas that are beginning to see the problems, and then the two have to work together. For this room, if your chief compliance officer is not talking about cybersecurity, walk into his or her office and say, Listen, I just came from a conference. I hear a lot about cybersecurity. Should we be addressing anything and looking at this that's outside of what I'm reading in my technical manuals right now? You know, how did you know the SEC got hit? How did Deloitte get hit?
2: So, this this is
3: actually one of the areas where there's been a tremendous amount of communication from the
5: regulators. Both the SEC and the NFA have put out like checklists that you can go through and perform a gap analysis within your firm and that should be a collaborative effort between IT and compliance. Yep. You know, it, they tell you exactly what they think you should be doing. Now some of that might not be applicable to your particular business, but it's an outline. So it's it's much easier than some of the other regulations to determine if you're in compliance. I mean I think as with anything, you know, and I tell Good people question. this all the time, if you are if you're running a report or you have something that's flagging anything Somebody needs to look at it. So I would not create any system that flags anything if there isn't somebody who is in charge of reviewing it, dealing with it, and and following up on it.
2: One of the arguments with behavioral analytics is, well, wait a second, aren't we giving the regulators a path to bad behavior in our firm? I said, they're going to find it anyway. So wouldn't you be better doing it yourself first?
3: You're much better off. Look, if you've committed a problem or an issue in your firm, you are so much better off – telling the SEC when they come in, look, we had this issue, this is how we handled this issue, instead of them finding the issue when you're going, oh, I didn't know that happened. You know, and f- that's huge as part of this process. I mean, the
5: key is to, the key, you are in a much better position with the regulators if when they come in to examine you, you can sit down with them for an hour and walk them through the, the fact that you've identified the major risks within the firm and you've mitigated them. And if you've identified a major issue in, in recent times, you've remediated it. If they stumble into it, or they think you're being cagey and hiding it, it's gonna take them down a path straight to enforcement.
4: But coming back to the, the real-time issue, I think that one of the things firms must start to really do is to have proper restricted list control on pre-trade. And we still find gap everywhere. Because that, that is embarrassing. If you have your trader or, or your fund managers trading on something, you have an insider as a firm and the SEC on top of that find that uh, themselves, that, that that's very bad. So for, for, for the for the restricted, restricted list, I think that should be real time. Sorry.
2: Okay, well I'm gonna end it here. I think that's our time. I wanna thank uh, my panelists, it was great. Uh, thank the audience, you guys uh, still awake and that's a good thing. Uh, There's this an exciting topic coming up. Hopefully you enjoy the rest of the day, thank you.
0: Thank you all. Uh, good pay-